I was going to send this to you on Discord, but I thought you'd appreciate it more here. So in regards to you taking off two weeks of work for St. Patrick's Day, I only have this to say. Did you ever know that you're my hero? Everything I wish I could be. I can fly higher than an eagle. Cause you are the wind beneath my drinking wings. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. On behalf of myself, Down in a Heap, and Plundergrounds, I want to wish everybody a happy St. Patrick's Day. I'm your host, Jason. At the top of the show, you heard from Joe Richter from the Hindsightless and Wheeler Woe podcast. And the show's going to close out with a message from Ivy, the Happy Whisk. And she's going to mention one of my previous episodes where I did a session recap. So when she's talking about tooth fairies, that refers to some monsters that were in a Pathfinder, I'm sorry, that were in a GURPS Dungeon Fantasy game that Che Webster ran of uh, Roleplay Rescue fame. But that's not why we're here today, although I very much appreciate these messages from Joe and Ivy, and I appreciate you, the listener. But I'm about to to play the recording of a chat I had with Rob C. of Down in the Heap and Ray Otis of Plundergrounds. So I hope you guys enjoy this. It's a, a riff off the Drink Spin Run podcast. If you've never heard Drink Spin Run, there's a link in the show notes, and there's a link to the other things we've talked about in the show notes. So Drink Spin Run was a podcast that was primarily put on by Adam... Muskowski, I'm, I know I'm saying his name wrong, but follow the link, go listen to all the drink, run, sp- drink spin run episodes, they're great, and we all really appreciate that, and that's why we're doing a homage to them today. Before I cut off, because after the after the, our, our talk, after our ramble, it's going to go straight into Ivy's message, I want to say thank you to Ray Otis for the art for this podcast. Thank you to, even though you're not hearing it this episode, thank you to TJ Drennan, who normally provides music for this podcast, and thank you to you, the listener, because otherwise we'd just be sitting here drinking talking to ourselves. So that said, let's get to the meat of the episode. Okay. Looking for so it. I am, oh, well, okay, so I'll just introduce it as going on my, well, you know, we'll just. You should have just started over. recording about five minutes ago because this would have been perfect intro for. A- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drink, spin, run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So th- there we go. We'll we'll include something before this. So I think instead of doing a proper introduction, we'll just roll. Um. So t- joining us today, we have, of course, I'm Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and joining me. We have, go ahead and introduce yourselves, gentlemen. Rob from Down in a Heap. And Ray Otis, just from the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Wait, I can't be from the middle of nowhere. That's where Liren's from. Yeah, Liren's That's right. from the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I'm from the middle of somewhere, San Diego. Yep. So. Which, interesting enough, the middle of nowhere is about half an hour from me. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> Hey, Aaron, go bra. Or as we say here in California, Aaron, go bra. <laughs> or as we so say I'm, in Minnesota, Aaron, go eh? <laughs> eh, eh? Aaron, go bra, eh? 
<laughs> yeah, th- this may not be a family safe podcast. I guess we should say that up front. Um, it- it'll probably be pretty safe. But it-, it won't be my fault. It's 7 a.m. here. I can't quite justify getting started uh, yeah. this early. <laughs> well, well, I am mixing a so so we're gonna kind of borrow the drink run drink spin run format and with, with because we all i think respect and love that podcast um yes. miss it yes i am in the process of making what's i think the i think the proper name these days is a dublin drop are you guys familiar with this drink no the one time I had a politically incorrect name of the of the um belfast car bomb uh. and or the now, is the drop bomb. because you drop after drinking it or because you drop something into it? it, it it's basically a boiler maker. You, you oh, have okay. half yeah. a, um, you have half a pint of Guinness and then you take Irish cream and whiskey. You know, you mix them in a shot and you drop that in your Guinness. Um, the original formula also had Kahlua in it. So that's the one I'm doing. Nice. All right. That's a plus. There you go. So I knew that'd make Rob happy. Actually, yeah. don't tell Rob. I'm using a off-brand thing called Ca- Cafe mm-hmm. Lolita. It's some kind of Kahlua knockoff. Hmm. But we don't tell Ray. <laughs> or we don't, oh, I'm sorry. We don't tell Rob that because that will offend Rob. Yeah, I'm a major stockholder in Kahlua. So are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might as well. Might as well support the things that you uh, support. That you as were, right? Yeah. yeah. Invest. Invest in the things that you consume. Let's put it that way. Right. Right. The, well, I have, the big. Thing, I have, I've kind of given up hard liquor, at least uh, yeah. for the most part. So I am drinking uh, Kahlua and Irish cream and milk, kind nice. of equal parts of each. There you go. So kind of a sort of a white Russian, but not quite. Irish, a white Irishman? I don't know. A, well, a coffee <laughs> Irishman? <laughs> yeah. yeah, the tricky thing with this is you have to down it quickly. Otherwise, the cream will start to curdle. Not curdle, oh. but you know yeah, it'll kind of coagulate. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Just, you just end up with cheese curds. You just, right. Who cares? Yeah, it's still drinkable. But... <laughs> okay. Hmm. What are you drinking, Ray? Tea, coffee? Uh, coffee. Yeah, yeah. It's my first one of the day. I'm surprised my voice is even working. So, <laughs> I had a coffee with some Irish cream before this, so I've got a pot of coffee in me. So, ouch. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was telling him, or started to tell, I didn't tell the story. So, yeah, you mentioned you had the, so I had done that too. I had a coffee with Irish cream and stuff in it and was, stepped away and the little dog I showed you, put, put, I showed a minute ago, Maddie, he hopped up there and started drinking it. So I didn't <laughs> <laughs> Here, just, just Which in is, honor of you guys, I'm, we're going to, uh, a little bit of my coffee, right? Just get all to, right, there we go. Had it on hand, so. Is it even a green flask? Uh-huh. It is a green flask. Yeah. All right. Look at Perfect. that. It's a it's a uh, Stanley, which it's actually really Excellent. great. Yeah. Nice. It's good stuff. So since we only have Ray for a little bit, let's um take advantage of this. I think we've we've covered the drink portion. Yeah. So spin. I, are we going to interpret spin? I think they did as well, like both music and books. Yeah, I mean, they always talked about books, too, but uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, what are you reading or listening to, Ray, or both? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'll start with the listening to, because it's kind of funny. Um, yesterday, I can't remember how it came up, but, um, oh, we were talking about KTEL Records, like old 
right? Oh, old yeah. TV commercial records. And I said, one of the best albums, CDs, technically, that I ever bought was Freedom Rock. Because <laughs> they had these funny commercials where, and yeah. I think I was drunk when I ordered it. I was in college and they had these funny commercials where like a Cheech and Chong style, they were sitting on their van, you know, or whatever, a bumper of their van. And they're like, man, is that Freedom Rock? Well, turn it up, man. You know, and then like, and then I was, I, so I rewatched the commercial because it's out on YouTube. And I laugh because like the second time they they pop in after the music, they're like, remember the good old days? War, protest, going to jail. And I'm like, those, those are the good old days? Okay. But anyway, um, so yeah, I was listening yesterday. I was listening to Freedom Rock, which is just all 60s, you know, like. Uh, like war and i think it's so groovy now that we're finally getting together those kind of songs right yeah. love train good stuff um uh reading so i've got quite a list because i tend to read a lot at once but um i'm in several book clubs but uh, i'm in kind of a i think the thing i'm enjoying the most right now actually is um i'm i'm it's two books in one sort of i'm reading Roy Thomas, who was a big guy at Marvel, he wrote a book called uh, Barbarian Life. Actually, I think it's in two volumes, but I'm reading the first one right now. I'm about halfway through that. And basically, he got, he does an issue-by-issue issue breakdown of how um, the Conan, the Barbarian comics got put together. And it's pretty interesting, them wrestling with the comics code authorities, things they had to do to like tame down the stories or hide the violence. Sometimes they would do it. There was one where um, there's a field of like, white poppies or something that drink blood and the, the comic book censors couldn't see it because they saw the black and whites. Right. So, uh, but when they did it to color, right. All the, the, the flowers go red as like the dead bodies fall into it. I don't know. But so I, you read, you read a chapter of that and then you flip over to the, to uh, the Epic Conan, the barbarian collection and read a comic. And I think the thing that I've enjoyed the most about those is they're, um, they're very much in well first first of all let me say the conan the barbarian that has entered popular culture is the conan the barbarian from marvel comics mm -hmm. totally yeah. that's the shirtless you know fur britches um yeah. you know conan and yeah. um roy took uh, originally they didn't have the they had the license to do the ip but not the actual stories originally and then they then they got a hold of the, some of the stories but and there's a kind of a funny story behind that, but I don't get into it, but he does some translations of stories. He does some where he builds the whole story out of a snippet from Howard and he does some original stories. And frankly, if you don't know, if you haven't read Conan before, it's hard to tell the difference. So that's, that's what I like about it is like, he, he really got the, the vibe of it. He wanted to actually do Thongor, Lynn Carter's oh. Thongor, but because mm -hmm. uh, he thought Conan might be out of reach license wise, and Lynn Carter's estate took too long to respond, so they took a chance on getting Conan, and and they actually got it. So, but yeah, that's that's one of the things I'm reading. You, you know, it's interesting just to cut in for a second. You mentioned Thong, which I, I guess I should say my personal Conan canon is. Robert E. Howard in the Marvel con those early Marvel comics, the Savage Sword mm -hmm. and the, you know, mm -hmm. the Roy Thomas run. They're, they're great. Yep. But you mentioned Thongor. Thongor, I don't know if you've ever tried to read those. They're not very good. Yeah. <laughs> the writing mm -hmm. isn't good. But it, it really captured people's imaginations because you have both Roy Thomas wanted to do it. And then Barbarians Lemoria is Simon Washburn had read Thongor mm -hmm. and wanted to make a role playing game off that. That actually came off of the Thongor books originally and he couldn't get the rights because apparently there's a th somebody else has a thongor role-playing game out there that's super super crunchy and complicated 
which doesn't make any sense for a sword well, sorcery. We're spoiled game. for fantasy now. It was it was yeah. thinner back then. The pool was thinner, right? So you're willing to read things that aren't quite as, you know, if you're a voracious reader and you're looking for more, yeah. there it is. Oh, I, it's got I a Frazetta cover. That, you grab it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I should have grabbed. I've got a copy of Jack's, um, was it Brack or Brock? What you're talking with? Um, uh, uh, yeah, Bell. Brack the Barbarian was. Yeah, I've got um, those. Yeah. That was John Jakes, wasn't it? John Jakes, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. North and South. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got those. They're they're not bad actually. They're better than Thongor. Gosh, there's so many. Uh, Kothar was. Yeah, uh, I love Kothar. Uh, Gardner Fox. Yeah, uh, Kothar is pretty yeah. campy, but it's it's fun. Yeah, Gar- Gardner Fox is a good writer. He has mm-hmm. fun with stuff. You know, it's not too serious. Right, <laughs> but that's that's oh oh we almost had a spill. Almost had our first spill. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not even the guy that just j- just did the shot of. All that stuff is dead. <laughs> so got, I'll just I'll stop there because I on a, on a yeah. stack of books and it almost went over when I pulled one out. <laughs> yeah, because that I mean that to me is the most interesting. I mean uh, it's the one I'm having the most fun reading right now. I got a bunch of other stuff, but I'll we'll, I'll leave it for now. What what are you guys What are you guys consuming other than alcohol? <laughs> well, mainly alcohol. I took a. If you listen to this episode, the listeners have heard this. There's a clip. Uh, about what I've done for St. Patrick's Day from Joe Richter over at Hindsightless, the beginning of the episode. But so recently, you, you know, I, I got back into the kind of the pulp and the and the hard-boiled detective stuff, reading mm-hmm. like Mickey Spleen, but then also like the Veronica Mars. It, did you guys watch Veronica Mars? No. Ray may have. Oh, no. It's actually really good. I mean, it, yeah, it's a teen kind of thing, but it's actually really good um, noir-style show. And they wrote a couple books off that. So I read those. And so I've been reading that stuff, but I've gotten out of it. I've kind of moved back into other things. I, I'm finishing up Inherent Vice by, I should have the guy's name here. Sorry. Um, Inherent Vice is probably the most accessible book by this author. Um, I'll, I'll have his name here in a second. I'm, I wasn't prepared. And, no, that's fine. The last uh, the last detective stories I read, I think, were the the Bosch. I read about seven of the Bosch stories oh, by yeah. uh, Harry Connolly. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. And the Amazon yeah. series is really good, too. Yeah, so Inherent Vice is a is a book by Thomas Pynchon. Do you know? Oh, you know yeah, who he is. Yeah, so he's supposed to be a really dense, in it, you know, hard to get into writer, but Inherent Vice is pretty easy to get into, and, and it's hmm. kind of like this hippie detective d- doing his story. It's kind of neat. But I'm fin- I'm finishing that up. But hippie the other- detective, hippie noir. Yeah. That's yeah. an interesting thought. It, yeah, it's it's, inter- <laughs> it's it's not really noir per se, and it's a send up. Like he makes fun okay. of different. There's a lot of social commentary in the book, but but it's pretty good. I, I would recommend it. Um, the well, other thing I'm reading is a haze of pot smoke. Yeah, exactly. The, the movie by Paul by Paul Thomas. He gets everybody Anderson. to confess just by you know pulling them into his van and flying yeah. them with the good stuff. Right. If you've seen the movie by Paul Thomas Anderson, Inherent Vice, with Joaquin Phoenix, who's Joaquin Phoenix is one of those actors that whether you like the roles or not, he's such an amazing yeah. actor. He yeah, really just actor. inhabits the roles he, he does, you know, yeah. and um, he does such. But it, the movie really does give you the feel of the book. So if you watch Inherent Vice by Paul Thomas Anderson, he's the guy that did um, Boogie Nights and, and a bunch of other, you know, The Master oh, okay. and a bunch of other movies. But he's really good. I'm going to have to take Maddie out. You're hearing him in the background. But the the only other book I'm going to talk about is The Complete Works of Zoran Greystar, book one. 
And book one. Ray, yeah, book one of the complete works. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Ray can talk about this more than I can. So actually, I'm going to be mean and punt this back to Ray <laughs> as I switch phones and take my dog out so he stops oh, whining sure. in the back. Sure. I'm, uh, I pointed out that I was guilty for him buying this because there's a there's a chain over on the Audio Dungeon Discord called Chain and Lightning, and it's a trivia thing. So somebody puts out a trivia contest and everybody guesses at it until somebody gets it right. And I, I don't know. There's no implicit rules against Googling. Um, some of the questions have been hard enough. I don't think we would have gotten them without Googling. But I had asked one about this book, which uh, I bought because of Thaddeus, who does the patches. Uh, the somebody, Sometimes people call him Thaddeus, or Patches, but I think his name's Thaddeus Moore. Uh, good guy. Um, but uh, he had one for sale. It's an early, um, early 80s, I think, early um, like fan published book that's a supplement for AD&D, although it never mentions AD&D uh, uh, probably smartly, but it, it re- references game masters and things like that. And, um, it's a bunch of each chapter is kind of an alternative system for some of the things in the game, like spell casting or experience point awards. And, um, the best thing about the book is it's written in voice. So this guy's gaming group, they all write in the voice of their characters. Each chapter <laughs> is a different character and his, his mom, um, is the one who illustrated it. They were all in college at the time, I think. And there's, it's, I told Jason, I said, I was reading through it and I, I was really hanging with it for a while because the, the spell chapter, they give you a couple fairly simple algebraic formulas for, for like, um, it's like a mana pool system, mm-hmm. right? An early as cast instead of fancy and you do with a energy system. And uh, I was with them for a little while. By the time I got to like the fourth or the fifth formula, I'm just like, nerds, like this is, come on. <laughs> like, oh, it's just so, oh my gosh, the math, it's hilarious. It's all understandable, but my gosh, they have, they had a, they had a formula for uh, casting the spell. They had a formula for memorizing uh the length of time it takes to memorize the spell, a formula for rec- spell point recovery, a formula for, I mean, like they had a formula for everything. I was like, are oh, you gotta be kidding me? It's cool. But, and as an early piece, it's not a gameable piece. It's not something you'd really take and use, but as an early piece of gaming lore or history it's really cool. Yeah. Kind of nice. pricey these days. It's probably 50 to 80 bucks to get a hold of one. So I missed it. Yeah. When, did this, uh, when was this written and released? Say like 82, I think 81, okay. 82. Something like that. That's what I was thinking. Somewhere in the early '80s. I don't have my copy close, but yeah. So back in the heyday of AD and D and stuff, it it has quite good art in it. That the mom who for the time, the mom who drew the art, uh, really it's it's copiously uh, talk about a word of the day. There you go, Uh, (laughs) copiously illustrated, profusely illustrated, (laughs) and uh, she did quite a good job. Yeah, it it really gives you that kind of feel. And it's interesting because you compare that to like Arduin, which also is kind of a little bit unorganized and hand done. But he got a little bit, yes. just a little unorganized. Yeah, yeah, but well, yeah, it's <laughs> it, it rivals the DMG, right? It, it the first edition oh, yeah. DMG. Yeah, it just like there's no sen- rhyme or reason to the order that things are in Arduin. It's <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, but but at least he had he had or not at least that's not fair to say, but he had professional art and things like you know Earl Otis and things like that at least originally. And um, cool. we're, but this is really cool. I, I really, I, I'm really enjoying reading this. I think I paid thirty dollars, and this right, this copy has writing in it, which is why it was so oh. cheap. Oh, uh, okay, um, yeah. But yeah, I think in Thaddeus is upcoming. He he put out a, a a zine for Zine Quest that 
I'm outside, so I don't have the name of it handy. But he talks about, I think uh, he interviews Funk. one of the Wizard Funk. Yeah, Wizard yeah, Funk. I, I think he interviews mm-hmm. one of the authors in that. He talks about this book in his in his upcoming zine. There was a zine quest. Uh, drinking game. Jason and I are going to name zines, and every time Rob C says, I back that, or, or one of us says, I back that, we all drink, right? <laughs> That'll be Jason because well, Jason spent over. Yeah, Jason spent over $500 on zines. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would never be yeah. that foolish, he says. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, Rob. What, All right, your, uh, what are you consuming? So I'm, well, I'm consuming uh, alcohol, but uh, I'm, I'm also consuming, let's see, lately I've been listening to some Chet Baker jazz manifesto. Hmm. Uh, something I like to listen to a lot, especially if I'm working on games and stuff i find that anything with uh well i mean this has um a cd that's got all his vocal stuff on there too but but audio stuff usually takes me out of the mindset of yes. creating so but jazz or classical music seems to almost bring more things bubbling up in my mind and stuff and then later today i'm gonna veg out on boiled and lead which is a, a local band that always used to play at first avenue on saint patrick's day they're kind of a little bit celtic themed with like some eastern european kind of sound hmm. and stuff too but really interesting uh eclectic kind of mix of instruments and vocal and rock kind of this fusion um one of the guys almost- that I almost started to ask, are there any good uh, Celtic punk bands? And then I thought, of course there are. They're like the Pogues, right? There's just <laughs> right, a bunch. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, and reading, let's see. I guess I'm reading uh, The Fall of Constantinople by Stephen Runciman. And oh, geez. Now you're making us look like fools. Right. right? Oh, I, one of us I, is reading Zorin Greystar and the other one A Barbarian <laughs> Life. And you're, you're reading The Fall of Constantinople. <laughs> Come on. I, well, I usually alternate between like a, a history book and a, and a mm-hmm. work fiction. And I had been reading a lot of fiction for, for the last, like, I don't know, couple of months, actually for the last couple of months, I hadn't been reading anything. So, um, so I'm kind of making up for lost time with some of the nonfiction, but I pulled out, you guys were talking about comics. I'm, I really don't know my comics at all. It's something I just never really got into, but I do like this a lot. This, uh, Oh, that's Ruby, good. Uh-huh. Ruby yeah. Throw, Elric. Uh-huh. The sequel Stormbringer is good too. I, I'm not, I wasn't a big comics buff either as a kid. I read more. And so just recently at a friend of mine, well, Angus from Kirby's, uh, Kirby's kids mm-hmm. kind of dragged me into reading a graphic novel a month. And after about three years, I'm starting to really recognize the names and things. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as like Conan, um, I've got a couple of dark horse uh, Conan comic or graphic novels but uh, but i've i've never seen at least i don't remember seeing any marvel um mm-hmm. the only comics we had laying around the house when i was a kid my brother was really into planet of the apes so if we had oh uh, like, yeah planet those are actually pretty good comics, yeah i liked them a lot but uh, and then um i've also been watching a lot of rat patrol lately uh-huh. <laughs> which rat patrol. is kind of, which is kind of a a funny hey I mean, have you seen I, I have a really fond memory of rat patrol my brother and i used to watch it on tv um yeah. way back when uh and there's one episode where there's a downed spitfire 
that can only it can't fly can only but it can kind of hop right and there's a <laughs> tank chasing it have you seen that one i haven't i haven't come across that one yet I haven't oh, made it's it like it's a it's yet. a desert battle between like you know this crippled spitfire and a tank uh i remember <laughs> it fondly it's probably terrible but yeah yeah that's that's the thing i mean it's it's kind of so good it's or so bad it's good kind of stuff yeah uh, yeah but but it's fun just seeing some of these, even though they're the wrong uh, vehicles. A lot of cases, they're authentic. A lot of them, yeah. so it's kind of cool just seeing them zooming around and stuff, and and the hammy acting and karate chopping people in the neck and having them go down in a heap and stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So what? What, what uh, are you writing? Sixties or seventies? Oh, that was. Uh, I think it came out. It was before I was born. I I was thinking yeah. it was. Um, closer to when i was born but i think it was like 65 and 67 are they mostly black and white no they're all color it's they're all color control okay. in color you know yeah, it's color, right when you have yeah. to say it that tells you yeah. something about when it right. was made yeah. the time yeah. frame yeah. yeah i was just trying to we, we've talked about this before is like um when the karate chop was born like the crippling strike uh-huh. karate chop yeah. you know so you've seen it in uh in star trek they have the double-fisted hammer yeah. strike and yep. you know all the all the tv detectives i'm sure kolchak had a crippling uh-huh. uh strike now, Kolchak, know, kolchak's too cool I don't, yeah. yeah he yeah. didn't really he didn't frank but, cannon did yeah frank cannon did Can't. yeah there <laughs> yeah, if you google you'll see <laughs> listeners if you don't know who cannon is you're missing yeah, out say, you have to you have to visualize that to make that funny but but go Oops. go if you google it there is a there is a like a short clip on on YouTube where Cannon Robert Conrad. he's like in a yeah, he's, he's in a theater or something he does his chop yeah. and he knocks the guy out it's no pretty, Bill pretty Conrad awesome. sorry Robert Conrad, yeah, Robert is, Conrad. Uh, Baba yeah. Black Sheep Baba Black Sheep yeah. which is a great show and knock too this, knock yeah. this battery off my shoulder I dare you yep. um, but Bill Conrad was the voice of Marshall Dillon on the radio um, yeah. but unfortunately he had a body for radio and when they came to do the TV show he wanted to be cast as Marshall Dillon but they're like nah pass I, you, you know i don't have it i don't have it on my phone my mom has it I, I took my so before so quick diversion here my mom is at the point now where she's you know getting old enough that she, her mobility is starting to be compromised right. so we decided a couple of years ago she i'm, I'm to that go, old too she, she wanted to <laughs> she, she wanted to go to tour on the west and we did this yeah. wild west road trip and one of the places we went was dodge city you know we basically went for i'm in virginia we went to you know, the Grand Canyon back and we hit Tombstone mm-hmm. and Dodge City and all the places she wanted to see. In Dodge City, they have a they have a um Marshall Dillon, they they, they have a statue, a life size statue down right in the middle of the city. So I've got a picture somewhere in me. Let me tell you and he's if you remember the TV show, it was good, but it's slow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they would stretch the stories out into an hour. The radio show was a half hour long, it was punchy and it was dark. Mm-hmm. It often did not have a good ending. Um, like it was, I really like the radio show has some great episodes. I haven't yeah. listened to enough of it, but I've listened to maybe a hundred and yeah. Crack them down. Yeah. They're pretty cool. Well, and most pretty of those cool. are, are, are those all public domain Ray or the, or those yes. not? Yeah. I think yeah. they are. Yeah. I think I still have someone. Uh, so for a while I had a blog on old time radio, uh, Ray's radio revival. And I think it's radio revival at blogspot.com. And, uh, I've got a few on there. Uh, so if you just search Gunsmoke in there, you'll find some. Um, awesome. right, but I do a little write-up. before. You know, I'd listen to something and do a little write-up. So you could decide whether you're going to listen to it. But you can download the shows from there. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And you can find the whole run out on the Internet Archive, I think. Look for the – there's a group called the Old Time Radio Researchers Group 
OT, OTRRG, something like that. Anyway, they, um, they vet series. And so I think they have gun smoke out there vetted, um, meaning they've listened to them, make sure they're complete and things like that. Wonderful. The best parts of the old commercials, right? It's yeah. like time traveling, listening to an yeah. old radio show. All the cigarette yeah. commercials and the different yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> good, good for the T zone, ears, nose, and throat. <laughs> Menthol, especially. It's really good for your lungs. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, that's mm-hmm. like, remember, I know Ray remembers this, Rob May, the x rays for your feet and they'd x ray you to mm-hmm. get your shoe size. Shoe size, yep. To get your shoe <laughs> I don't remember perfectly. That. Yeah. Yeah. They used to have x ray machines in shoe stores. Nice. Mm-hmm. I actually that I think that predates me, but I for some reason I I remember that. But yeah, I, I'm not trying to make it race sound old. So so to get out of this this <laughs> inconvenient and I'll do it myself awkward part. <laughs> let's go to what we're running. Ray, what are you running? <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm actually in the players' chair right now, which is cool. Um, I just got through a stint of running old school essentials and uh, Marvel superhero adventure game, the saga based one. Um for a number of weeks. Uh, the old school essentials game is essentially my game, but um, I rotated it out for a little while to get a break. And uh, I just, uh, I've enjoyed playing a lot lately. I've always, always used to be the GM, you know, for years. And uh, I realized how much skill you need as a player. Uh, and it's, it's really, you know, kind of pushed me to be better at <clears throat> characters and vo- uh, not just voices, but like literally, you know, character concepts and doing cool things. And I, I'm enjoying, I, I think my favorites are gnomes, honestly. Um, gnome like trickster magicians my, my latest one uh rituga twiskin uh has a uh he's got this shield uh, that is uh, i only got two spells right to cast a day um but um he's got this shield that's got the green man kind of carved into it mm-hmm. and, and when i use phantasmal force one of the things i do is like have that face open up and shoot fire like dragon fire and i'll cool. you know like like aim it around the room and nice. um yeah, the other day we I was hitting. Uh, I think they were gnolls. Um, we don't name the monsters; we just describe them, right? Uh-huh. And so I got two of them went down, believing they were on fire. Right? That's the deal. It doesn't cause real damage; it just causes illusionary damage. And the third one's just looking at me like, "What's going on?" And I'm, and I'm like, "Going like it burns. It hurts so bad. Come on, come on, <laughs> believe it burns." You know. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. What are you guys running? I, well, well, real quick, sorry, I, I know I'm doing these divergence, but I, I think you bring up a really important point that uh, I think all of us probably jam more than we played, but playing is so important and oh, it's, people it's that just skill GM, playing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you, I, I really think it's important to, to divide your time up and get that play time because you can kind of lose touch a little bit. Yeah. You can. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah, I just want to say that, but yeah. yeah, I'm lucky. Our group, uh, we we uh, do a pretty even split between um, two mm-hmm. people that are the primary GM. So we both we both get a chance to play about half the time. So I think that we actually is implemented useful. a social contract rule. Every we go nine to twelve sessions, and then we rotate GMs. That's our that's, awesome. that's our kind of rule. Yeah, nice. Yeah, we do it. We do it by day of the week. So we play Saturday mornings and I run games and then Sunday nights, Keith runs games. And so I'm running Swords and Wizardry set in the Midderlands by Glenn Seal. And and Keith is running, um, well, Whisper Tales of Gore, which is basically uh, BX with uh, black pudding stuff. You know, the James V. West. Cool. Uh, Yeah. 
I've so, got that. I love, how, I love how whenever you say that, you whisper uh-huh. it. I got a, yeah. I got a friend who every time, every time somebody casts Sacred Flame in our five E game, he goes Sacred Flame. Like, like every time. <laughs> and one time he didn't say it, and I'm like, dude, you gotta say it. Like, yeah, right. the, come on. I was right. waiting all night for that. Yeah, and Sacred. Keith is running. Um, I don't know. It's some newer mega dungeon. I mean, it's like the mega mega dungeon. Is it like something Amon Sewell or? Oh, the Amon Yeah, it's one. It's one hundred dollars on drive through for the PDF. I bought it when it was on sale, actually. But yeah, I yeah, he's running that, and I'm I'm playing a a dwarf uh, named Cole in that. So, and he's uh, apparently in that setting. Like, uh, it's unusual in that dwarves are. Well, they're xenophobic, which isn't unusual, but they also don't drink because they're uh, they're afraid they're going to be taken advantage of by other people oh. and they're in their cups. But I rolled on my vice. You know, black pudding has this thing where you roll to see mm-hmm. what you know, like your vice. And my vice was was wine, so I'm like this oddball dwarf that's a boozer. Well, that's so. not drinking to a dwarf. Right. <laughs> that doesn't qualify. Right, yes. yeah. yeah, I guess wine is, is even more oddball for the stereotype. It's like how it's like how Amish people can't use electricity, but they can get somebody else to drive them to the store. Right. Right. Or, or uh, yeah. No, it's interesting. Yeah. So I, I was in a well, without going too deep because I'll out myself. But anyway, but yeah, in like New York, the you know, in Pennsylvania, in these states where you have big Amish populations, mm-hmm. the um they, they do have a thing where they'll hook up, you know, they'll call the state police and there are times that they'll like have them come to turn the electricity, you know, like turn a power switch off or turn the oven off or, yeah. you know, because they can't do it that day or, or whatever. It's, it's interesting. It's I lived around. Uh, so yeah. we had uh, Mennonites and, and Dunkards mm-hmm. and, and Amish. They're c- cool. It's really cool. It's yeah. interesting cultures, right. And traditions and, uh, hard workers. And so I don't mean to make fun of them, although right. in a good way, I mean, like, you know, yeah. we, we had all kind of rum sprig of jokes and things like that. And I'm sure they had all kinds of jokes about our crazy ways. But. Oh, yep. sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of our, the, the best selling cheese that we have, for those that you don't know, I'm a cheesemonger is called Prairie Breeze. And that's by a Mennonite community that's down in uh, Southern Iowa. In, okay. In Milton. Yeah. Um, so they'd come up, um, every year to do our food show and stuff. And, and, uh, it was funny because they, you know, they had their dress and, and the guy Rufus has a unibrow even worse than mine. I mean, it's just like a caterpillar. <laughs> and he was, he was hilarious. Uh, so he was a great ambassador for, for cheese and all that. But anyway, so there's my side. I, I'm sort of now picturing a cheese palace. You got the cheese monger and the mm-hmm. cheese ambassador, right. and the cheese, yeah. cheese viceroy. The <laughs> We need the cheese grand poobah. Yeah, exactly. So, Jason, what are you running? Well, the main game I'm running right now actually is against the Dark Master, which is a Rollmaster Merp kind of clone. Jeez. And it's All right. yeah. the biggest. Well, we wanted to try it. So we had run a. So I'm in a game with a multinational game game that has Barry, who does Shadow the Jam Lord, or Barry, who does Shadow the GM podcast. And He's in England, and then Menyon or Rob is in Japan right now. He, he's an Englishman, but he's living in Japan. Holy cow. What time of day do you play? Well, so it's 7 – well, due to the time change at the moment, it's 6 a.m. for me. But normally it's 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. for me, 10 a.m. to noon for Barry in the U.K., and 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. for you know Rob in, the, in Japan. 
<laughs> oh, and, and Darren's also joined to the game now. So Darren, uh, Colin Green's brother, Darren Green, yeah. is, is oh, in yeah. the game. Who Darren actually is a great, great player. Let's, if let's, you ever get let's to play flip with the him. script on that one. Let's call Colin Darren's brother because Darren, yeah, I Darren. think we he's should. always Colin's brother, right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. that's a good point because yeah. that's not really fair. Because Darren actually, if you ever get a chance, he's got a game that he's developed uh, that uses yeah. cards instead of dice. It's really interesting. I really yeah, want to try I'm, that, and, and we've talked about testing it because but. he, yeah, he sent me the rules and asked me if I'd like to look through it and. And I, I fell down on the job and I haven't done it yet. So I need to look at that because it looks and sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, reach out I mean, to him, the Ray, or I can reach out to him. He'll, he'll, oh, I he have. Yeah. He's waiting on me to respond to like, okay. I, I, so he knows I'm trying to get, I'm, I haven't talked to my group about it yet. I need to get them on board, which they will be. It's just a mm-hmm. matter of, I'm lazy. Um, but it's, it's basically dice. I mean, if I'm going to boil it down and, and oversimplify it, it's a dice deck, mm-hmm. right? You know, so mm-hmm. you get a, you get a manager role. One of the things I liked about the Marvel superhero saga game was that um, you'd have a hand of cards and it was also your health, oddly enough. So if you got damaged, you had to give up cards, um, mm-hmm. which reduced your options, right? Which so it made damage real as opposed to just some abstract thing that like it didn't matter, it didn't matter, it didn't matter, it didn't matter, and then you're at one hit point and all of a sudden it matters. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's he basically your rolls are in your hand. You can sort of like use your card deck, and I don't remember if you have a hand of cards, but I know you use your card deck. And once you mm-hmm. you can kind of watch which cards come out, and every there are some things that trigger that allow you to reshuffle your deck, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you can and sometimes you can choose. So it's like if you've seen a lot of high numbers come out, you want to reshuffle your deck. If see, if you've seen a lot of dogs come out, you don't want to shuffle your deck, and right, so you can. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool to give you a little bit of control over the randomness of the game. Right. Yeah, it's a really interesting game. It, it is. It's it's well worth we're talking about maybe playing that next. But we had before Darren joined the group, we had played Merp. We did a 10th level Merp game, Middle Earth role playing game, where we did a mystery because we wanted to Andy Goodman talked about you can't do mysteries in D D. So we figured, well, we'll you know, we'll do it with Middle Earth. <laughs> and um anyway, but so we're we're trying against Dark Master, which is fine. It's I don't know. There, there are weird things in the rules. There, I, I wouldn't pick it a role master to be honest. But I, I wouldn't pick any of these systems anymore because I don't have time to. <laughs> as we're older and we have less time to run these games, the things like OSE and yeah, well, even you know Nave and Maze Rats. I mean, there's there's advantages to these lighter games. There really is, is a yeah. But to be honest, role master in the system's a big deal. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, I can't think of his name. Goes by the Blind Rat. On uh, yeah, uh, Discord. Yeah, Joe, Joe Joe. Yeah. 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 Joe yeah, Richter. Joe. Thank you. Yeah. It just escaped mm-hmm. me. Joe and I were talking about the other day and he was talking about how he played the new Pathfinder for like a hundred sessions. And yeah. And he ended up going back to first edition and it was just out of familiarity for one thing. And once you've eternally, I think a lot of us are heading to comfort zones right now anyway, with the COVID stuff. And, and uh, there's a lot of, it's so it's kind of relaxing. It's it's easier to relax and have fun in some ways when you go back to a system you really know and everybody at the tables, you know, kind of bought in and it clocks right along. Yeah. Well, well, definitely, and that was part of this because, like, at least three of us in that group know Merp really well and played Role Master and Middle Earth Role Playing, but we had you know this game yeah, adds like fifty percent other... of the population that knows Merp. Right, probably, but <laughs> we're with the um. Yeah, come on, you've read Merp. <laughs> but the but but like this new against Art Master has like a meta currency thing in there where you can do re-rolls and and it you like re-roll crit so in la, in the last session, Darren's dwarf took a critical and he lost four fingers on one hand, right? And but he could have yeah, used this, 
He could use the meta currency to re-roll that and lower the critical, the the severity of the critical. But none of us realize that because it it was mm. an add-on to the rules that we we're used to. So, <laughs> yeah, I think the comfort zone is really important. I think if you're running a game, you know, having rules that you're the the other great thing about being comfortable with the rules is if you're running game after work one night or something like that, you're not stressed about it because you know you're familiar enough. And you feel confident enough, you can make rulings. Off this is our, also part of the thing of random tables that people don't get, yeah. which is how much they help shore up and extend your material, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So if you have if you have kind of an adventure in mind or like a site you think they might visit, and you prep that, you know, a couple of random encounters. Next thing you know, you're like, all right, well, I'm prepped for next week because we spent all our time fighting bandits on the road or whatever. Uh, Definitely. And when you use things like reaction rolls and uh, morale and mm-hmm. stuff too, things like you just. You weren't, you know, you can't really plan for it. So you don't have these preconceived notions of what they might do. You just kind of, oh, wow, they blew the morale check. They all run away, you know, even though they weren't really losing or something. So. Yeah. So Ray's going to have to hop off here in a minute, I think, if, if I'm counting my time right. So really quickly, I don't know, Rob, if you saw this, but in the Audio Dungeon Discord, we were talking about subdual rule, basically based off Rob's podcast, subdual rules and bar fights <laughs> and things like that. But what I want to mention is Ray brought up an idea. <laughs> well, but but Ray, you brought up an idea I think is really important. That's the idea of yeah. not adding rules to a game, but using the rules in the game or moder- you know, trying yeah. to use the rules in yes. the game to adjudicate yep. situations. If maybe so, you want to talk about that for a minute. Well, uh, yeah, I sort of like I had this, I have a title for a blog post that I haven't done yet, but it's already like titled, you know, you ever have one of those where you just go like, okay, I want to talk about this. And, and it's um, how to not, how to, how to not be a designer, right? Which is like, cause we all have that urge to fix games or to add things onto games. And you know, a lot of times the answer is already there. Um, yeah. So here's my, I'm going to kind of go down the track of my thinking on subdual thinking. First of all, you know, it's a part of the game that's been there for a long time. But uh, when I was a kid, I didn't understand even the term subdual. I thought that meant like under the skull or I didn't, I didn't understand what that, I, I didn't ever thought it came from subduing like, mm. like, is that even a word, subdual, outside of d and I'm not I sure don't, it is. You know, I think it underlined yeah. it when I was writing it in a, yeah. in a publisher doc. So I think it is yeah. incorrect grammatically. So, so yeah, it doesn't really, so, because it's not really a thing. Like, outside of Pulp Fiction, there's no way to really clock somebody in the head and not actually hurt them. Mm. Um, you might knock them out also. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, all right. So, so, um, so my first thing about subdual damage is it, actually seems to be used to cover two completely different things. One of them is uh, beating somebody into submission who's conscious, right? Like beating them so bad that they decide to, to like surrender to you. And the other one is to knock somebody out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Those are to me completely different things. So if you take the second one first, there's a morale rule in old school D and D that's all you need. You, you, you start the fight and you work the fight until um, they fail the morale check. And then they either try to run away. And if you've prevented them from running away, you got them locked cornered or something like that. Then maybe they, at that point, they yield to you and you work out some negotiation thing, whether they keep it or not probably depends on their alignment, but you know, so morale, that's all you need. Right. Um, And I think for monsters, that's all that counts because there's no way to really knock out. You can't punch a dragon, right? Um, So, uh, and I don't know, maybe like some sort of wizard EMP pulse or something might do it. I don't know. (laughs) But so so for humanoids, um, I get it. You sort of want to emulate the fiction. We're not emulating reality. So you want to emulate fiction where, um, you know, you can sneak up behind a guard and knock him out, right? Okay. 
So first of all, situation, you got to watch the situation. Like, do they need to make a sneak roll, all that kind of stuff. So it's already going to be kind of hard to get into position to knock somebody out probably. Um, uh, so they don't see it coming, um, even if they see it coming. So then you need some sort of rule for handling the knockout. Right. And that's where, that's where subdu- quote unquote subdual. I don't want to call it subdual anymore though, because it's confused with that. The other, so mm-hmm. I would, I would use some sort of skill check at that point. And I, I look to one of two things, which is you could either add one um, that would be kind of percentage based, like the thief's abilities. But I kind of look to the strength table where you've got a, a feats of strength, like bend bars, lift gates, bust doors down. I'd probably use that. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, give them a, and then I would probably implement a save. So, so it's fairly hard to knock somebody out, but if you do, it's, it's really powerful, right? Because Mm -hmm. you're taking a, you don't have to fight them down to zero or to submission. You're just taking them out in one blow. So Mm -hmm. if you can sneak up on somebody, they don't see it coming. Number one, number two, then you'd have to make a roll to like get, get, make the right punch essentially. And then I give them a saving throw versus paralysis probably because that seems to thematically fit the best. Sure. Right to see if they go yeah. down, and it would only be good against humanoids. So that's mm-hmm. that's my first thoughts on it. I haven't tested that in game to know if that's the right way to handle it, but it uses the rules as written. Uh, without uh, subdual is optional in old school essentials. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it uses that without going into. Now I can see the fun of that. I mean, I look at some of that old original D and D where they had the rules of subduing dragons, and yeah. you know, th- there's some fun in like, oh, I hit the dragon twice, and now he's my slave. You know. Yeah. Oh, as unrealistic as it is. So that was that was my <laughs> thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. And I, I do want to bring up one thing. And, and this isn't a counterpoint at all. Well, while you're talking, I googled um, subdual. And it mm-hmm. says mid 17th century from subdue plus al compare mm-hmm. earlier subdue subduement subduing. Okay. So mm-hmm. apparently the, the word does predate D&D. But no, I agree with that. And I think if you can use things like that, you know, like I apologize, the dogs are playing in the background. But, you know, if you can lift gates as your knockout roll, that's genius because you're like you say, you're using the rules that are already there. They make sense. They're already scaled by the character's abilities and, you know, tribute scores and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. I, so I don't know. What do you think? Rob? Yeah, now, and I, Rob and I like the, the idea. Of, I mean, I would have added it as like a class ability. But the problem with adding a class ability like that yeah. is you want everybody to be able to do it. It's the thief yeah. problem kind of all over. And, right. and people yeah. say like, oh, just because it's in one class doesn't mean the other classes can't do it. That's true. However, it does mean that they have to be worse at it. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you if you give the thief a climb sheer surfaces of, well, that's a bad example, because for some reason, thieves are start out as being amazing at climbing sheer right. surfaces. It's the only um, thing they can do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With, with confidence. Like, yeah. so I've got a, I don't know, a third, second little thief who, uh, my Rituga is, uh, no, not Rituga is, is blue mantle. His partner is a thief. Um, but he's got like a 10% chance to move in shadows or hide in shadows or something, move silently. I don't know. One of those two. And I'm like, this is ridiculous, but I'll try it anyway. Um, but the problem with that is, is if that's the thief who's supposed to be good at it, that means everybody else has to be l- worse at it, right? right? It doesn't mean they can't do it. It just means they got to be worse. Right. Otherwise, right. then the thief player is like, what the hell? You know? <laughs> so, yeah, that's my yes. Sorry, I've hogged the mic. No, 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 no that's, I, I do that with some of my, in my Swords and Wizardry game, I'm doing some of that, you know, utilizing some of the stats that are already there for other things. So, like, for appraising treasure which is always something that comes up i let thieves have a percent chance to accurately appraise treasure equal to their climb walls ability or their nice. scale 
pierce surfaces. And then anyone else who tries it is just the sum of their intelligence and wisdom times their level. And that gives them a percent chance. So it's kind of based on just like their knowledge. And if they have like, if they, if their background, they say they're a merchant or something I'll say, All right. Well, you'd, you'd know some things or whatever, but. And then good. Yeah. That's more generous than I would give. (laughs) Cause you're, you're going to start off with, you know, maybe average or what, 20% chance. And then second level, they have yep. 40%, third level, 60%. I think you have That's to realize good. as a GM, though, yeah. what you, what's going to be interesting for failure. And yeah, right. I think this varies from GM to GM. So like mm-hmm. appraising treasure for most GMs, failure is not going to be interesting, right? Yeah. Um, but some GMs will be like, you know, ha ha, this thing you think is like really valuable isn't. And, um, you know, the magic item was really that rusty sword in the corner and you took the, you took the, yeah. the piece of junk. Well, the other thing. Hill. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing, just real quick, that that I've heard, I, I forget where I heard this. Somebody else came up with this. I didn't, but it's the genius idea that of using the dungeon world idea in D anD D that you know it's failure with a cost, right, or success with a cost. So mm-hmm. yeah, you have a ten percent chance to pick locks, maybe, right? But that ten percent chance doesn't mean that you don't pick the lock. It means you pick the lock with a yeah, with a cost. Yeah, with a cost. Right, like it takes you too long to do it, and and uh, you know bugbears are on the way, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Or so you, you can still yeah. just because you had ten percent doesn't mean the lock doesn't get picked. It just mm-hmm. takes you twice as long, or it may, maybe there's another role for random for water monsters or something like that. But you can still you know succeed at the yeah the the, the whole fail forward thing is really if you don't have yeah. interesting if you don't have interesting consequences for failure then make it a success with mm-hmm. like a cost is always a good you don't really need that one of the great things about dungeon world is all the principles from dungeon world work without the mechanics so you can take a lot of the good ideas from there ask players questions and use their answers for instance or mm-hmm. um there's there's are very few mechanics you really need to steal from there one of them i actually do like is the um uh well, I guess it only works in Dungeon World. I was thinking of like the, the spout lore thing where you make the role mm. and and if you get the role, the GM has to tell you something interesting or useful, right? Like depending mm-hmm. on the level of your role, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'm not a fan really of intelligence roles these days for the most part. So, yeah. right. I, I know we're d- just watch your time. Yeah. I don't want you to. Yep. I don't no, I, I need you. uh Yeah, I got to. I actually have to work here. Um in a few minutes. So I'm going to hop off. But hey, I really, right. really enjoyed talking with you guys. And I, I Likewise. hope you go for several hours and get completely um, embarrass yourselves on the air. Yeah, hopefully. But no, thank you so it much for joining us. It won't take hours to embarrass ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> We've already it's done good. it. Good to see you, right? Right, another 20 minutes ought to do it, right? That's yeah, right. Great to see you guys, too. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy yeah. St. Patrick's yep. Day. Same to you. Yep. So, Rob. Yes. Well, we, really, we should end the show here. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. It's going to be a downer from here. We <laughs> lost. We lost our uh, luminary. The the person that actually has <laughs> useful things to say. I'm That's sorry. Right. I'm not trying to shortchange you. It's uh, you're I'm not. Just, <laughs> I'm just joking around. No, but, likewise. Uh, but, but yeah, Ray's always interesting to listen to. He's always got great ideas and uh, perspectives. And uh, yeah, it's always always fun to listen to Ray. And I miss Pondergrounds. I hope he. Uh, gets the itch to start podcasting again once in a while. Oh, I do too. Yeah. We, yeah, we should have said that while he's on the air. Yeah. We we messed up, but 
Yeah. So I don't know. Did you get a chance to look over that subdual thread on my? I apologize I about Maddie I... in the background. He wants to play ball. He's... Uh, don't believe him. Jason's got a squeak toy that he's uh, you know compulsively yeah. playing with every once in a while. No, I I I look back a little bit, but I didn't go all the way back up the thread to read it. When I'm at work and like and and discord blows up and you look and see there's 65 messages or something I, sometimes i'll go back and read through it but not always so well I i'll recap for you really quickly sure. because i was yeah. going to do this for my podcast but so really the main conversation was between myself ray and logan howard who does okay. hold on come here maddie logan does the sword breaker podcast for those yes. of you uh, listening yeah he does um, Maddie, the dog you're here in the background is a Kelpie mix. He's a Australian cattle dog mix. He's like, if you think of Mad Max, he's that kind of dog. Oh yeah. Mixed with something else. I don't know what else he's mixed with, but he's a great dog, but he, um, he, he's not afraid to tell you when he wants something. <laughs> <laughs> and right now he wants to play ball, but he'll get over it anyway. Um, but so that conversation with Logan Howard, Ray and myself, and then later on, Joe jumped in. Joe Richter of um, Hindsight, Listen, Wheeler, Wote, hopped in. Mm-hmm. But I was arguing the idea of use for bar fights. And you and I have talked a little bit about bar fights before because yeah. you're not a fan of unarmed martial arts and things in D&D. You think if somebody has a sword, then that's it. Well, I'm yeah. paraphrasing, but. Yeah, I just, well, I think the unarmed combat rules in general have been so bad in in D&D games and just don't really fit in with the construct that they have of levels and hit points and all that uh, like Ray was talking about you know as far as like subduing I mean what Ray put forward I thought was a pretty good idea of just okay essentially like using BX mechanics what Ray is kind of saying is you first have to surprise the person second I don't know if you'd require it to hit roll but at least a strength roll of like open doors. And then if mm-hmm. both of those things succeeded, which would be about a third of a third chance or less than that, it would be about 15% chance if I'm, my math is right, then they'd get a saving throw. So it's pretty unlikely that old Frank Cannon would be able to karate chop the guard and put him down. Right. But, which uh, doesn't work for me because I want to emulate the fiction. I want to have mm-hmm. those bar fights you see in the movies. I mm-hmm. want to have that in my games, right? And, yeah. and so that's why I was looking at subdual damage. Not, I mean, to me, a subdued, a subdued creatures, like I said in your my call to your podcast, you know, it's like that bad gunfight, you know, that gunman that you took a gunpoint, yeah. you know, he's going to turn on you as soon as he can, right? Sure, so, right. And that's what I would do there. But the subdual rules, I, I think, are an interesting way to do it because the percentage of the percentage chance to succeed is based on the hit points. So mm-hmm. a higher level character has less chance of being subdued. A yeah. higher level character is also going to connect more often due to the, the hit tables, the attack tables, yep. Yep. and it'll get hit less often because chances are they're going to have a lower armor class due to magic rings or due to whatever, right? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe. not. Maybe. I mean, in a bar, you know, like if they're just hanging out in a bar, they're probably not wearing their suit their of armor. plate or something, yeah. you know. But they may have magic item, but even so, they're going to hit more yeah. often, and right. they're going to get knocked out less often due to the percentages. So I was thinking the subdual rules would work well for a bar fight as far as, you know, whether it's knocking them out or whether just knocking them to the point that they don't want to fight anymore. 
Yeah. Because you want it, you want your, your party to be able to fight in a bar fight, but you don't want it to take two hours. You don't want it to be the fight from they live. Right. Right. But how do you do that? Especially when a punch is a D2 damage. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So there was an old, there was an article in an old dragon magazine. Um, I can picture the cover on it, but it might be something like 83 or something. What was called How to Finish Fights Faster. I think it was by Roger Moore. And it had a simplified version of grappling where I think it had actual wrestling maneuvers, you know, like I'm going to put them in a the arm bar or whatever. Or, uh, I, don't, I don't know if they had hokey wrestling moves like a figure four leg lock or something right. like that. Yeah. But but wrestling moves, and you'd have a penalty on your to hit roll, and if you but if you hit, then you'd have a chance to like actually immobilize someone or something. And for the pummeling, I think you did damage based upon your strength and also based upon your strength. Kind of what Ray was saying. I, it might even matched up with the with the Ben Bars lift gates percentage, but you had a percent chance to stun someone if you hit them. Um, so, I mean, that might work. It Bar fights aren't really a problem for me just because we always play such low-level games that mm-hmm. even in a bar fight, you don't, in in an old, you know, BX game, you're, you know, your second or third level fighter might have like 15 or 16 hit points. It's not like they have that many anyway. And if you're using something like AD&D or Swords and Wizardry, where a fighter gets uh, multiple attacks against the mooks, against the one-hit direless creatures, your third-level fighter might be socking, you know, doing the rock and sock and robot with three blows against the mook that he's fighting. So that, you know, speeds things up a little bit too. But yeah, I don't know. Um, as far as, and again like Ray's point too about using things like morale maybe if um even doing one hit points one hit point of damage in a fist fight with uh you know joe bob down the street who's challenged you to a fight you quickly get to the point where you're doing a morale check for him and maybe he just gives up then or something so right but if you have if you have an epic fight between a seventh level, two seventh level fighters. Yeah, it's going to take forever if you follow it. If you play it by the rules, so that is problematic there. Right. My only problem with the morale rules, and it's not to take away player agency or any of that, but there should be some sense of danger for the PCs. Yeah. And, and there should be a chance to get knocked out, and that's where I think the Sadul rules kind of are interesting, because even a tenth level fighter potentially could get knocked out. Where mm-hmm. if you use straight rules, the tenth level fighter can just sit there and keep drinking his ale while people are pounding on him. Right. It won't matter, right? You know? yep. And so I'm not worried about realism. I want to emulate Hollywood. <laughs> you you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where I was. But I I really like Ray's idea of using the mechanics in the game. I don't know if I'd give the saving throw because honestly, if I was in a game and they were sneaking up on the out on the the stronghold of the enemy. And there was a single guard outside mm-hmm. and the thief snuck up behind him. I think I, and the thief said, I'm going to knock him out. I, I almost mm-hmm. think I'd narratively say, okay, you knock him out. Yeah. I probably to would too. If, if, yeah, if he hits some, if it's some guard that has like, you know, four hit points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd probably just say, okay, he's on the ground. Actually in that old guild, old game thieves guild, 
there was a separate skill that thieves had called caching. Mm-hmm. And you had a percent chance of actually knocking someone out based upon what they were wearing on their head. So if they had a helmet, you know, or a leather helmet or a cloth koi for something, it would, uh, it would decrease the chance or change the percent chance that you just knock someone out. Um, so they had their own little separate mechanic in that, but yeah, using the existing game mechanics in an old school game, I I'd probably do the same thing. If, if the, the thief hit the guy or really any character, if they surprised them and hit them, I'd play just say, yep, he's out like a light. Right. Cause you're playing so, heroes. So even the mage, if they want to come out and, and you know, said, I'm going to take the, I have this, whatever in my hand, I'm going to knock him in the head. I'm mm-hmm. going to let them do it. Cause I want to emulate the fiction and you want to emulate the, you know, it's supposed to be a fun game. I don't want to, Oh, you, I, it can be interesting if they roll poorly and don't knock him out. Yeah. At the same time, right. if the whole thing is to assault the temple, sneak in the temple and get something, why get bogged down outside the temple? Let them get deep in the temple and then, you know, let them screw up, right? Yeah, and then and then unleash the, the yeah. hounds of hell. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. So, well, cool. I, I don't know. Um, so so what else do we want to do? Do we? I, I am happy to stay on here and talk with you. What, what other... What else is going on with you with game? You have your your dragon deep dive going on. Yeah, I've been working on um, the the dragon rules here and scratching them up in my notebook and stuff. And um, I'm hoping that tomorrow um, I'll probably do an episode where I where I do that. But yeah, I've been I've been talking about how to kind of make more of a standard kind of setup for dragons rather than having all the different species type and old school games with your, your white and black and green dragons and stuff like that. And some of the things that, I mean, I I'm doing is rather than having like rolling a, a chance to see if the dragon casts spells. And then if they, if you roll it, they have these special rules for how many spells they get and stuff. I'm just having it where you roll at each age category for the dragon and once they have spell casting ability they're basically a first level magic user and every age category they progress they essentially become a higher level magic user so the earlier they learn spells in their their age or whatever um the higher level quote unquote mm-hmm. they can get um and it's based a little bit i'm I'm having you basically roll the dragon's intelligence too, and that determines the the chance that they'll that they'll know magic. And each each time they advance in age, they you roll to see if their intelligence increases. You roll to see if they learn new languages. It's kind of just like making up almost like an NPC dragon because I think dragons are probably important enough or so iconic in the game that they warrant to me. Having some kind of special, like, uh, special setup, setup, and yeah, you can have dragons as wandering monsters. But as a DM, I think it would be cool to just like, almost like NPCs, just have a little rolodex of dragons, and um, and you know, just pull out. Oh yeah, you ran ran across the a young adult dragon. Here, I've made this one up or whatever. Um, D- I think definitely. It'd be fun. Do, do you let them get up to? Was it ninth, seventh, or ninth level? Whatever the top level spells are, do you let them get 
Although no, I, so the highest, I mean, the highest they could get is if they learned magic as a very young dragon, I suppose they'd be like the equivalent to an eighth level magic mm-hmm. user. So they'd, they'd get like fourth level spells, which again, keep in mind, my games are so the ceiling is reduced so far in power level in my games, characters that get to fifth level are definite movers and shakers in the area. They're not just, you know, tavern owners or something or um and it's not like the lord of every castle is a ninth level fighter or something um the characters that i always think of it in kind of bx terms where 14th level was the apex and uh so i mean like merlin would be a 14th level magic user or something or gandalf would be a 14th level magic user and uh so i mean when you're setting that as the absolute ceiling, being a fifth level character is pretty significant. Um, even being a third level character means you're probably one of the toughest or most dangerous people in the village or something. So, right. Well, it goes back to, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but it goes back or whoever puts this out, will put a link in the show notes, but it goes back to that Iron Rations episode where Matt Jackson was talking about old school versus new school, you know, thought. And yeah. and he talks about how, why can't, why do I have to be a ninth level fighter to build a stronghold? Right. Why can't my second level fight? What's level have to do with that? And yeah. he separates that role play part of it, that, you know, personal development part from the leveling system, the XP system, yep. which, which I think is valid 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I do that too. If a character has enough money, they can build whatever and has the wherewithal to build a tower or a stronghold or just like cleans out something. I mean, that's what often happens in my games is the the characters like clean out some cave complex or hideout or something. It's like, hey, let's turn this into our base of operations. And then they have fun like mapping it out and altering it and you know turning it into their own little personal bat cave or something you know and uh-huh. uh, um and that's really fun for the players so i think that's cool i'm not gonna try and like say oh no you can't do that until you're x level or something and and the other thing that you know in that conversation you're referring to that iron rations episode matt jackson was echoing something i've been saying for a long time too where it's like it's all relative to me first level characters battling kobolds is very similar in feel to fourth level characters fighting ogres it's uh but the better thing about the first level characters is the fight is over quicker so mm-hmm. it's so i actually i mean i prefer low level play the stakes are higher as far as like you don't have as much room for error typically although i get that typically higher level monsters are doing more damage and have more capabilities too so that can finish fights more quickly too but the net effect to me other than the like the the feel the effects you don't have like flashy fireballs and lightning bolts and teleporting and stuff like that i get that that's different but um but i think it really is all relative if you're escalating the level of the adversaries to match the players you're basically playing the same game with different window dressing right well remember 
in the early nineties, there's a game Cinnabar. Do you I don't know if you remember that, but I, I remember hearing about it, but I don't, it's not it, ringing a bell. It was a world within, it was, it was kind of like metamorphosis alpha where it was like a world within a world ship or something. But anyway, so your characters in that game had like thousands of hit points, but the weapons mm-hmm. did hundreds of damage. Okay. <laughs> so it's one of those things where <laughs> yeah, just scale them back. To, yeah. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to feel like, cool, this is hundreds of damage, you know, that's, that might be a rush for like 10 minutes until you realize that it's the same thing as rolling a 10 side to die to someone with a hundred hit points. Right. Um, exactly. That's the, <laughs> yeah. It, it's like, just scale it back. We, we talked about this with our against the dark master. Cause these first level characters, I think Darren's dwarf had a hundred some hit points, like first level, yeah, yeah. but I mean, he got knocked it's down to like 20 in the battle. Yeah. Yeah, it's the critical hits in that game that really matter. Yeah. Well, that was the other thing we talked that's interesting that Discord conversation about bar fights is I kind of put up as a joke. But if you did a bar fight where you use the grappling and martial arts critical table, every hit was a grappling or martial arts critical table for role master. It wouldn't be a long bar fight. (laughs) <laughs> no, it wouldn't. But you it'd get be your fun. eye gouged out. Someone <laughs> <laughs> bites your ear off or something. It'd be great. Yeah. It's funny when you said that that Darren's character had lost four fingers. I yeah. had I flashed back to an image of like, did you ever have the GI Joes with the Kung Fu grip? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and their finger if after you played with them long enough, their fingers grew kind of brittle, and all of them, at least mine, broke off. So they just had like a thumb, right? And then well, uh, and then a half hand or something. So. Well, and thematically, it was great because he built this character using a two-handed weapon. So he was using a two-handed weapon. He took critical that lopped off four fingers, which yeah. makes se- actually thematically makes sense or narratively yeah. makes sense, right? right? Yeah. So it was, yeah, it actually was, uh, it was a lot of fun. But ro- honestly, against Art Master is cool because it's out there and it's readily mm-hmm. purchasable. You know, yeah. it's a product that's in production. Right. Yeah, it's a living but, game. Yeah. But I don't see an advantage over Merp if you have it. Or of a mm-hmm. role master, if you if you want that, uh, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, to me, the great thing about Merp was the supplements, almost more than the game uh-huh. itself. But I mean, I like the game. Don't get me wrong; I thought it was a pretty cool game. But just like if you wanted to play in Middle Earth, it was uh, it was just set really well. I mean, it didn't emulate the the actual literature really very well. I think it sounds like I haven't played it, but that. Um, well, why am I blank? Uh, the One Ring. The One Ring. It sounds yeah. like that's a game system that actually emulates the fiction a lot better. Um, that, that's what everybody says. I haven't got to play it yet. I got to play in Adventures in Middle Earth, and that was that was fine. I've played, yeah, I've played that too. And the the one thing about my experience with that, which it was all right, I liked it better than Straight Five E, but I didn't, I still didn't like it that much. But I think it's because the DM wasn't using some of the flavorful things that would have made it feel more like Middle Earth, the shadow points and the journey rules and stuff like that. He wasn't using any of that stuff. So I think that was a missed opportunity on his point to really, you know, breathe more life into the Middle Earth part of it rather than just, okay, yeah, we're just. uh, Now, that's one thing that against art master has their travel rules or journey rules. Mm-hmm. And I think those would, if you had both, they would be worth importing into Merp. I think okay. the Merp chassis is a little better, but mm-hmm. so we did a journey today, this morning when we rolled, played the game this morning. And 
So they they decide they're going to go to this elf safe, so, yeah, elven safe haven because you know Darren's character is really chewed up and they need to heal mm-hmm. and, and regroup. So they they took a canoe journey on a river for a couple weeks and then they're going to go through a swamp for a week and then the forest for a week. And during the canoe journey, you, you roll ha- a hazard every week. Well, you okay. could predetermine them where they have random tables. So sure. we rolled on random tables. And the canoe journey, they they hit a – basically, you can interpret it, but effectively it hit some rapids and it tore a hole in the canoe. So they mm-hmm. had to repair the canoe, which which is pretty cool, which yeah. cost some time. So then they had to try to – you know, hunt for rations, you, you know, scavenge oh, some forage yeah, yeah. for rations and stuff. And then the second encounter they had turned out to be a ghost ship. It was a, <laughs> you encounter another ship and then you roll on a D 10 table and 10 is a ghost ship. And that's what they rolled. Yeah. So they didn't actually interact with it. So I figured, well, you, you know, ghost ships only show up at night. And I, so I mm. asked them, tell me your, your schedule for travel. Tell me what your itinerary is, daily itinerary. Yeah. And, and so they would have been on shore by then. So whoever's on watch that night, and we rolled that randomly, saw this ghost ship going by. And then the elf in the group made a lore roll. They have a, a skill in there for like lore and song and lore. Mm-hmm. And he made a roll and he he did really well. So I told him, oh, yeah, there's this, you know, race of humans that died out hundreds of years ago that were taught by the elves and, you know, got too, you know, full of themselves, basically, kind of like the Numenarians, and, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, disappeared now but so it was kind of cool and, and then they encountered well I, I won't go in detail what they encountered but they encountered what appear to be some kind of zombies or undead attacking a hut and mm. they're gonna have to f- we're gonna pick that up next session so i don't want to talk too much about that but right but it, but but it's the journey rules are pretty decent for just plug-in journey rules yeah. um to make things interesting if you're so the idea is it's gonna take them a month to make this journey mm-hmm. but we're gonna make a couple rolls to, yeah, you're just gonna abstract it and do kind of a um, yeah. a montage kind of thing with some highlights. So, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so it's kind of cool. Yeah, and those high and those those things that you rolled. I mean, the ghost ship that could easily have turned into a whole nother adventure down the road or something too. That oh, know, and it still can. Have yeah. A callback too. So. Yeah, definitely. And if they if he had tried if the characters had tried to so so the the book doesn't say this, but I decided if they were going to try to interrupt the ghost ship. Mm-hmm. then the ghosts would have you know reacted to them but as yeah. long as they left them alone they were going to do their own th- you know the ghosts were going to keep doing what they were doing right so luckily yeah. they didn't interrupt them so they didn't have to deal with that but yeah, yeah so so it, it's interesting but i don't know it's trying yeah. to mix the one ring and merp is, is mm-hmm. what that game's trying to do okay and it kind of half does it but like it uses an abstract wealth system like i don't know if you ever play marvel superheroes but it's got a wealth system like that where you have a wealth level and your wealth level depends what kind of goods you can you can purchase. It doesn't use gold po- gold coins or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And they use an abstracted encumbrance level. But in the encumbrance system has five different levels, which are way too many levels of encumbrance. And it's so it, it tries to be simpler in some ways, but it kind of screws it up. <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. and then like the finger thing. So on the table where he lost fingers, it's minus 10 to each roll for each finger you lose. Okay. Oh, wow. But if you lose a hand, like later in the rules, there's a dismemberment, yeah. excuse me, dismemberment portion. And if you lose a hand, it's minus 20. The actions are used both <laughs> Just hands. Just it off. <laughs> but, but if you, yeah, exactly. They'd be better off without the hand, right? Yeah. So, 
I mean, so we're trying to work through that. There, there are some things that are kind of, you know, some bumps in the rules, but yeah. we're at least role masters kind of figured out, I think. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, as far as I, I kind of feel too, like with one of my issues, I think with, with games that have both levels and skills, uh-huh. I, I think sometimes that blend just doesn't, you lose whatever works with the exclusive approach so to me a level-based game works a skill-based game works when you try and mesh them there's usually some kind of uh, some kind of error there where it just doesn't match up well enough and you kind of lose something from both sides so that's why i i tend to favor you know the older versions of D that don't really have skills where it's just based more on whatever level you are whatever your saving throw or attributes kind of like we were talking about just use the stuff that's in the game to uh and and if you want to have something like a, a a background or some kind of failed op- occupation that you washed out of you know like oh yeah i was a blacksmith's apprentice but you know i got bored and ran off and joined a mercenary company so now i'm a fighter you know that's the kind of background I like to have. So, so your character, okay. Yeah. They know a little bit about blacksmithing or maybe they know a little bit about farming, but there's not, you know, hard and fast, like skill system. It's just like whatever you can kind of persuade the DM that your character might know. And, um, and aside from that, it's just what you learn in the game uh-huh. as a player. Um, so, but on the, but on, and on the other hand, a game that's just a, an exclusive skill-based game, like you know, uh, a basic BRP and stuff, yeah, BRP, or, yeah, or be, top yeah. secret or something uh-huh. like that. I think works great too, um, where you just don't have. Well, I guess top secret top secret has levels. levels. Yeah, <laughs> BRP, but BRP, BRP or GURPS. Yeah. I guess GURPS would be the other one. Sorry about the dogs. The mailman's going by, but. Um, <laughs> So it's interesting. I I don't know if you watch, but Hanker and Fernell or or Brandon Gilhelm, ICRPG Runehammer. Right. He's recently started his videos. He's recently started playing OSC. Oh. And he loves OSC. I'm going to link two videos. I I assume I'm going to put this out. So it sounds like because I have the time to edit it, which means chop Mm -hmm. off the ends (laughs) and and put it out on the internet. That's my idea of editing too. Yeah. But (laughs) so he's done two videos so far on OSC and he's gotten, he's, he basically, he found a group of new player. So some players have played D&D once back years ago and other players are totally new to it. And he's using OSC to teach them to play role-playing games, fantasy role-playing games. Cool. And it's really, these videos are, there, he's real. I don't know. So he recently had COVID. Not to put out all his details out there, but he talks about yeah. it. But which you can you can appreciate, right? And he yep. talks about how COVID, you know, really kicked his butt. But he, um, so he's really unfocused in these videos. So when you watch these videos, they're more unfocused than some of his other ones. Mm-hmm. But he's trying to tell people how BX, because uh, really OSE is BX. He's not right. using advanced options any of that. Yeah. Straight BX is a great engine to use and he's really appreciating it but he's getting all this kickback in the comments and you hear him in there like responding to comments because he's doing a a live stream on youtube and people just don't get it they're like well why aren't you doing this or why 
why do you want to use mega dungeons? He's like, no, we're OSC doesn't say you have to use mega dungeons and right, all these right. preconceived notions about OSR. So he's anti OSR. Like he's not into the OSR. Yeah. And, and, and his big thing about OSC is he wishes old school wasn't in the title, which I don't mm. necessarily agree with, but, yeah. but it's funny because he's talking about how, I don't know. I, you have to watch these videos. They're really interesting. Yeah. He's embracing it. BX effectively, really, because that's what OSC is, right? Right. So he's embracing BX as a great engine. He's getting pushback <laughs> from people about it yeah. uh, because of all the conceptions about the OSR, which, which it, is interesting. Yeah, yeah it's I, I was, you know, I, I just had like a discussion on uh, another Discord too, where I was, where someone, you know, called someone else a gatekeeper. Um, and I'm just like, all right, can you at least? show me some screenshots some kind of evidence where what are you talking about and because this kind of that kind of stuff it yeah i i really am tired of like the osr community getting uh tarnished um mm -hmm. because because people have it's just like this word of mouth thing that's gone around where we're all just these inflexible jackasses that you know, are always telling everyone that they're playing the game wrong and stuff. And then, you know, that's not the experience I've had at all. Everyone I've talked to in the community has been really inviting, really open and really creative and really generous with their uh -huh. time and with their products and stuff. And, and they're, you know, they have, they might have really strong opinions on play style, but none of them are telling other people you're playing it wrong. They're usually saying the things that we say that play the game that you love and, you know, enjoy it, you know, right. and well, if you don't enjoy it, change it, you know, modify it. Yeah, definitely. And one thing that he says that I think is interesting was, which I think we would both agree with when somebody said, well, don't you find racist class is limiting? And he said, no, it's liberating because less rules means because you have that, that means you have to be more creative as a player yep. to bring what you want to do to life. So it's encouraging yep. creativity. Yeah. Where if you have I, rules for everything that, and he isn't saying this, so, so I'm going off. Well, I'll let you respond to that. And then I, the negative with rules for everything is it, to some degree, it hampers the GM because it, it empowers the players, right? And, and, but it also limits your play style because you can't riff and you can't do rules instead of rulings when you have rules for everything. Where the advantage of, you know, the older rules and doing rulings instead of rules is, and he talks about this, somebody wanted a, a um, well, well, they wanted a dwarf spellcaster. Well, the rules don't allow that. So what he did was he let him play a human that was brought up by dwarves. So he, yep. wear, he dresses like a dwarf and he looks, you know, he's, his beard's like a dwarf and all that, but he's a human mage because or magic user because you can't be a dwarf magic user. So he's right. saying you just had to be creative to work around this stuff. Yeah. And, and people don't get that. They, they, you know, anyway, go, go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. Maybe the alcohol is catching up to me now. I, I uh, <laughs> kind of forgot well, what I was, the point I was going to make, but yeah, we'll um, cut this off soon, folks. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think with, uh, I, this will probably go on to your, the show that you've been, you know, canvassing people for their ideas of what is rules light and rules heavy and stuff. But part part of my answer was that um, one of the one of the continuums is how quickly you attain some kind of level of mastery and how easy it is to do that 
And you can be someone that really knows a, a complicated or what I view as a complicated game after you've played it for 10 years or something like that. And you just know all these things, one, two, three, and can run the game seamlessly. But it maybe took you, you know, two, three, five years to get to that level too. Whereas if you're playing something like Into the Odd or In the Light of a Ghost Star or something, you can almost memorize the rules after you've read it a couple of times. I mean, the rules are on like three sheets of paper. So it's it all it's all about just kind of riffing and going rolling with the punches and stuff. Um, and uh, it's cool. I, I, I'll have to watch those things because Runehammer is uh, an engaging person on video and I've watched him. He's really, you know, he's usually really pumped up and excited about things and um, so I like, I haven't played ICR RPG and, you know, there are things that he advocates game style that, you know, I don't really, it wouldn't be for me, but, but it's always creative stuff that he comes up with or creative ways to like bend modern approaches into a more simplified way that I kind of really like. And I think it's cool that he's trying out this game. So trying out old school and, essentials and trying to you know get some other players on board and stuff so i'll have to check that out for sure yeah they're like so i'll put links in the show notes there the first one's two hours long it's kind of he's trying to sell the idea of osc and -hmm. then the second one is like an hour long hour 15 and he's talking about his first session of osc and then he also talks about four important rules that he thinks you can things you can learn from osc or to run it which i think are really interesting because he talks about um use a tribute so in icrpg one of the things he does are room target numbers so icrpg is really you can play it online but it's designed for in person we're using trained and when you go into a room you have a target number and that target number is the number you have to roll whether you're trying to hit the monster beat the trap do whatever right well so he's saying in osc you don't use that you throw that out but you use attribute checks and saving throws for everything Mm-hmm. So you just figure out, you know, what's happening. Is this a tribute check or a savings throw? Okay, yep. that's what they're going to do. Yep. So that's that's one. Two is that doors matter. I, I might be doing these out of order, but doors matter is in the idea of that's why dungeons are less dangerous than out the the wilderness because you can shut a door and lock and keep monsters from chasing you through doors right. where you can't do that in the wilderness. Not, yep. I, I'm really paraphrasing here. You have to watch mm-hmm. the video. Um, and he said some other things that I'm not remembering right now. <laughs> I don't remember the other two points. <laughs> oh, monster monster morale is his second point. Monster morale is actually – so you use a 2d6 morale roll, yep. but you set a morale for each monster, right? It may mm-hmm. be the average morale for monsters is six. And if they fail the morale, they, they break engagement. They run. Yep. Some monsters are never going to run, right? right. Some, some monsters are always going to run, right? Yep. And, and there, it's going to be a, a continuum or you know a variance. But – but that monster morale is huge because it, it 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 simplifies so much in making in making that fight work, and and, and there's there's game world logic to it, and, and I I think I fell asleep watching the third part. So, but anyway, or the fourth point. But anyway, watch his videos; they're kind of cool. But like I say, he is kind of unfocused in them. So I I'll warn well, you ahead I, of time. Yeah, I I completely get that. I was uh, I was a mess after COVID, so I get that. Yeah, but he uh, it's it's really interesting that he's trying to embrace. He's not trying to embrace embrace the OSR, but 
but he he really loves OSC and he loves the presentation <laughs> in the book. But I think it's interesting are, that yeah. I think it's interesting that there's this distinction between you you can love like the old game, but you for some reason have a problem with the community. I mean, is it? I don't I don't know. Or you know, you're I think a patron of of his and stuff, so yeah. you have access access to other material and stuff like that. What what is his issue with the uh, with the community? Is I mean, is it just certain personalities that have kind of tarnished it for him, or does he just I, not like the idea of having these different groups that people identify with and stuff? Or I, I think it's more the groups than anything. Yeah. Some of the some of the personalities and some of the ideas like old school, you're always doing mega dungeons and some of the tropes that have built up around OSR, right? right. Um right. and some of the Which personalities like you know, like Vangus and like um Yeah, um, yeah the, the usual RPG pundit stuff like that, yeah. right? Usual um, assortment of assholes that people trot out to to basically tarnish the whole community. R- so. Which is totally unfair, but but yeah. is is a is a fact, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of it. But so he's a DIY person. He's big mm-hmm. big time into do it yourself and yep. train building or or making your own things. And you know, yeah. like he doesn't use pre-generated modules. He always wants to run it, make his own stuff, do all his own yep. stuff. Um, but it's interesting. I, I just found it interesting that he lo- he found he found BX effectively and loves BX. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> but cool. It, yeah, it, it's it, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, but and he's still working on other stuff. But part of it for him is you don't want to do the same thing for too long. You have to change things up. He, he's a creative type, so he's yep. you know done different things. Yep. The, so last thing I'm going to ask you, and mm-hmm. and you, you don't have to answer if you or you don't have to give a detailed answer if you've already called in. But Tim Shorts put out an episode with with Ivy with his you know with um the Happy Whisk. Where they yep. were talking about rock bands and D and D classes. And oh yeah. Then Joe the lawyer put out a podcast in in response to that. Yep. H- have you called into to Tim with your your answer to that? I have not called in with the answer. I was I was thinking about that, and I'm you know like like he and Joe. I think I was having a, what Ivy I think suggested that Pat Benatar would be the fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's not looking I mean, classic rock. To to be fair to Ivy, but yeah. I'm sorry. What? I, I don't think Ivy's cla- thinking classic rock like we do. So she's right. just thinking exactly. about exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only thing I came up with is Rick Wakeman would definitely be the wizard. You know, he's got mm-hmm. the the crazy capes and stuff, and he's behind his wall of synthesizers, making all this crazy music for whatever band he was in. Yes, or uh, um, uh, why am I forgetting the? The name of the group um it had like wizards in the in the name of the album ah uh, uriah heap uriah oh yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah right here yep um that's the only one that i really kind of came up with um but i was thinking of other things too like no one said anything like an assassin who would be an assassin or who would be a monk I mean, Elvis would probably be a monk, right? Because he was always doing like the karate crap on. Oh yeah, yeah, no, stuff. Elvis, yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, and like, who would, as far as other things, like, who would be a paladin or a ranger or something? Or I mean, uh, yeah, some of these are really hard classes, and some of it's because the archetypes themselves of those classes are so unfocused. I mean, what 
what is a ranger? I've <laughs> aside from Aragorn, I don't really know what people mean by a ranger. So, um, but yeah, that that was a it was a fun thing, and uh, especially Joe the lawyer's follow up to that too. Those are two great podcasts, fun to listen to. So, have you ever seen? So this is a deep dive, and this is a big ask. Have you ever seen a movie called Stunt Rock? No, I haven't. This is a 1978 Australian. It's a mockumentary, really, kind of like um, mm-hmm. Spinal Tap is. But it's got a band called Sorcery in it. And if you Google, you'll find Sorcery on YouTube. I, I'm assuming they ha- yeah. you have to. But this is like late 70s. And, and it's a stuntman that goes and, and they go on these. It, it, it's just a excuse to get sorcery on the on the, in the movie theaters, I think. But yeah. so they have a number of performances, but they do. It's all like fantasy related stuff. It's the kind of thing we're talking about. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think sorcery would be my wizard. But yeah, check look Google stunt rock and maybe maybe you can find them when you <laughs> maybe rock, find yeah. a YouTube. It's I, I've got it on VHS. Just have to make I, sure it's not cop rock that comes up instead. Yeah, no, yeah, you gotta be careful. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've been noodling this too i've been thinking about this too and it, it it's hard to to yeah. nail down like a couple classes are easy but trying to nail all of them well it's, yeah, it's like, like joe said the cleric is hard yeah, bar- right barbarian how about keith moon for the barbarian um and uh yeah cleric is hard i i don't <laughs> I, I suppose you could be literal in some of the like christian rock bands and stuff you could uh call one of them a cleric or something but uh but they weren't really in the classic era you know no not at all um so um yeah but I don't so, know, maybe maybe the guys from bad company they could be like uh, mm. uh fighter or something paul rogers could be a fighter it's bad company yeah you you want to fit in things like um deep purple somewhere but where's oh deep yeah purple fit in yeah um, I loved. I, I got to tell you, I don't know if you're a. And this shows me. This goes back to my exploitation and B movie love. But so obviously the Evil Dead movies, but San Raimi are great. And, yeah. and I'm a fan of the Evil of Ash versus the Evil Dead TV show that was out on Showtime. That I didn't is, see that. I gotta watch that. Yeah, check it out. It's now. It's not safe for work, folks. It's definitely R rated, but I you want to watch a show where the creators, of the show love the movie and, and mm-hmm. give the movie the do it's due. that Ash versus the evil dead does that. Yeah. You have a lot of movies that are adapted TV where the TV shows kind of meh Yeah, where you can tell everybody that ever like through all three seasons, I think the three seasons, Ash versus evil dead, everybody that worked that show loved the movies. Yeah. Like it's, it's obvious. And there's music. There's like a song in the, intro credit or the intro of the show and the outro of each episode that like the intro leads to that episode and the outro either recalls the episode or it leads to the next one. It's Mm -hmm. really well done. And, um, but, but anyway, yeah, that, that opens up with, um, deep with space trucking and in the episode that's, it's great, but um, yeah, I, yeah, that's a great show. Um, yeah, I'll have to check it out because I really do like the evil dead movies. That's, that's something I got to remember to watch for when I go to the, use bookstores and stuff is to i gotta make a list of movies to look for i try i mean i know i can go to like amazon or or um other sites online and buy stuff Mm -hmm. like that but i 
I prefer to, there's something about going to old record stores and stuff and flipping through them. I guess oh, yeah. it's just nostalgia and stuff for me, but I, I could spend hours just walking around used bookstores and stuff. So definitely. Okay. Last topic. Yeah. Unless you have something else, but last nope. topic. So we brought up the evil dead. You're a fan of the evil dead. So I'm going to put you on the spot here and, and I've Uh-oh. got my answers. I can answer this well, but what order did you see the evil dead movies? And mm-hmm. how do you rank the Evil Dead movies? I saw the Evil Dead 2 first, and then the original Evil Dead, and then Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think I like Evil Dead 2 the most, and then probably Army of Darkness, and then the first Evil Dead. That's probably how I'd rank them. But my most vivid image, or we, <laughs> as long as we're not safe for work. Right, we're not. <laughs> Some friends and I, um, they they had an Evil Dead marathon. I think it was on Halloween that they were showing at this, like the student union at the University of Minnesota. And we got lit up and went and watched that. And I think I fell asleep during the first Evil Dead, but then woke up um as the first one was or the second one was starting and then just like i remember just being in the zone watching that and just like i don't know whatever whatever brain chemistry was cooking around at that point i just remember being so enamored with it but i haven't watched them since and my memories of them are have faded so that was probably going on 20 years ago now or something so oh 20. yeah you have to revisit them yeah, yeah that's so i i i saw army darkness first to be honest yeah. and mm-hmm. i i really think in these movies the one you see the first colors you quite a bit yeah without a question um what's well, kind of like halloween or yeah halloween if you see saw the first couple halloween move for halloween one or two we're not talking about rob zombie but if yeah. you saw the john carpenter halloween one or two that gives you one idea jason myers if yep. you see four, five, or six, it's a totally different version of Michael Myers, right? Yeah. And same thing with Jason in in Friday Thirteenth. But yeah. So, so I think I I probably saw them Army Darkness, and then I probably saw one and then two. To be honest, I probably saw Evil mm-hmm. Dead and Evil Dead Two. I I think I appreciate. I think Evil Evil Dead Two is the best to be. Mm-hmm. I really do. Evil Army Darkness is the most accessible to the general audience. Yeah, and they're the most quotes and puns yeah. and things like that from that. Yeah, but I, I, I think one. Yeah, w- without doubt. But I think the Evil Dead, the original, is maybe the most noteworthy because of what they accomplished with no budget. Yeah, yeah, no, no nothing. I mean, they filmed it over mo- what months? You know, trying yeah. to do catch up shots and stuff. And yeah. I, I think the Army Darkness really is the what they accomplished with the materials and the money they had is really amazing yeah. when you look at that. It's got problems, but mm-hmm. it's definitely, you, you know, I think I think it's pretty great. But our, I think two is the most watchable. Yeah. Well, that's not, depending on, on your sense of humor and all that. But right. two is more watchable than one. And Army of Darkness is just camp. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think it depends on your mood, too, when you're watching, like, like almost anything. Mm-hmm. If you're in the mood for camp, then... Yeah, then Army of Darkness for sure. But, yeah, yeah, that's I. I need to try and find that. I bet there's like some kind of collection that you can get to that maybe has you know like 
some behind the scenes or making of and stuff that would be pretty interesting to see if there is so yeah if you google there's a like a diary for the making of of evil dead if mm-hmm. i can find it i'll i'll, I'll shoot you a link to it um oh, cool where they taught where it's got like one of the somebody that worked on the set like kept their notes and it's mm-hmm. not like like hauntings or anything but it's you yeah. know like the the tribulations the crew went through trying yeah. to film this thing yeah you know which is pretty crazy but so ash versus evil dead picks up basically so evil dead 2 i think the people that own the rights to that like the studio that has rights to that is different than the other two okay right so you may may or may not find a complete collection of them but evil dead ash versus evil dead the tv show comes off of evil dead 2 okay it slightly references the other or maybe comes off of um i don't know i (laughs) <laughs> they, they all work together but but i do recommend you check out ash versus evil dead if you it, you, you gotta accept the humor like it's yeah. it's some of the humor is pretty pretty you know it's what it is but yeah. but it's pretty fun and it's great to see bruce campbell on screen again yeah. and, and doing this stuff i i've always loved bruce campbell he's mm-hmm. he's great whether he's in that or he's in burn notice did you ever watch burn notice nope yes he's a like the sidekick but it's a basically a, a it was a TNT show or one of those shows, but basically a spy gets a burn notice is when you're, you can't be a spy anymore. Your agency disowns you. So this sure. guy's like stuck in, in um, Miami and he's trying to do odd jobs like to, you know, pay his bills and find out who burned <laughs> yeah. him from the agency. And Bruce Campbell's like this other spy that's like his buddy, but Bruce Campbell's sounds, great. I've always loved Bruce Campbell. Sounds like a good, uh, good premise for a show. Yeah, Burn Notice is a pretty neat show. It's it's he has a like his girlfriend's like a former IRA bomb maker and yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's a Burn Notice is pretty. I think it was a TNT show, but it, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. But but I think we probably outstayed our welcome. We've probably an hour and a half to. Yeah, we probably lost. Uh, well, we probably lost like seventy percent of our listeners after Ray signed off, and then we'll probably lose uh, another twenty percent by now. So yeah, for well, those who can two blame people. Him? For those two people <laughs> listening, still listening at this point, happy oh, St. Patrick's Day. And yeah, happy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, last thing, for this will be a special Easter egg for people to stayed. So you did, did, did you do corned beef and, and cabbage? I'm I'm going to start it actually after we get off the, the mics here. I'm going to go, yeah, start that up because uh, I think it cooks for, I think it will cook for like three hours at least. So, so I was so really I did, really thinking... I Go was ahead. originally thinking of having it for lunch, but now it's probably going to be a dinner kind of thing. So, oh, sorry about that. No, I, no, I, no, no worries. Yeah, I cooked yesterday afternoon, so I did a. I actually wanted to do traditional. So in yeah, yeah. Ireland, corned beef isn't the the meal. It's right. so if you go to like Irish sites, you'll see them talk about bacon joint. Bacon, yep. And a bacon joint is effectively like a pork shoulder or a pork back. Yeah. It's yeah. not so bacon over there is not the belly like it is in the U.S. Right. But it's the, the like the back cuts or the shoulder cuts stuff like that. Yeah. So I got a pork shoulder and I I boiled that and um then put the let then put you got got a green cabbage and you know at yep. the end well you 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 bring it up to boiling then you let it simmer for it's like thirty minutes per pa- per um pound and yep. then you put the the green cabbage in there you put mm-hmm. that in there uncovered for while it's simmering for 20 minutes after if that's cooked and, yep. and let it go and it turned out really and then of course i'm doing I, I did a thing where i did potatoes and onions and carrots you know for the side yeah dish. but that's um, what i'm it, doing i mean that's something that like i mean 
my family's not Irish, but we always had boiled dinner, which was basically just like any kind of meat you throw in a, a stew with cabbage and potatoes and onions and carrots and stuff. And right. But yeah, the corned beef thing for Ireland or for Irish Americans, I think is a lot like lutefisk for Norwegian Americans. My grandfather from Norway never had lutefisk until he moved to the United States. So um, yeah. Well, it's like green beer. You don't have green yeah. beer in Ireland. That's right, an American right. thing, you know. Yeah. Yep. That's so. But yeah. we're Americans, so drink your green beer and uh, happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. That's right, definitely. So, thank you, Rob. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, and, um, that was fun. Yeah, and I'll get this out later today. So, all right, cool. See yeah. you. Have a good yeah. one. Talk to you later. Those tooth fairies sound too scary for me. The tank car. The podcast video thing that that was actually very very good. Tim had it on his phone, and then I had it on the desktop, and it was it was very interesting. Even even though I don't game, I still really enjoy hearing about all this stuff. All right, happy thanks Patrick's Day. Thanks Patrick's Day. Happy thank happy Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. Oh my gosh, <laughs> my brain's fried. Okay, bye. <laughs>